I, I think it would be impossible to spend too much time thinking about that day. I don't, I don't know about you, we get caught up in uh, today quite a bit. We can get caught up uh, in yesterday, but I'm not sure we get caught up in the real tomorrow quite often enough. Um, I don't know what 4th of July was like growing up in your family. Um, you know, I originally from, from South Alabama, and um, in our little town of, of Ashford, Fourth uh, of July meant I get to decorate my bicycle for the parade. Did any of you decorate your bicycle for the Fourth of July parade? Yeah, appreciate that. It's good. Let's sing another song, Omar. Um, but I remember it. I I remember running through the spokes, you know, because we didn't have plastic frames, and so you had these spokes that you had to wiggle the paper crate paper through and decorate it and. I just remember riding through town in the parade as proud as I could be that my bicycle celebrated the 4th of July. And then as I got older, figured out that maybe you need, you know, you grow out of uh, decorating your bicycle, probably at 45, me and my tricycle would be seen differently today. Um, but it, it became this memory of going to my grandfather's house, granddaddy is what we called him, and shooting fireworks and and just what that was like when you were at the top of the hill, he lived on 10 acres, and shooting them down and watching your cousins try to dodge the Roman camp. We were not good celebrators. Um, but Fourth of July, I always had this, this feeling of coming together. That was, that's, that's the memories. That's the, the thing they, they weave together in, in my life and in my story. And as I thought about that today, it's so interesting in in the moment i saw it where i was i i saw the parade as a child would see the parade i saw uh shooting off roman candles and go with granddaddy down to buy uh fireworks because you never went with your own dad one they didn't have enough money because i was a child right they were still in that place and granddaddy loved to buy fireworks for us and so i remember i remember that from a teenage perspective i didn't think the word budget was a real word I thought people made that up when you were around granddaddy you know just from my perspective and then now as as a parent it just seeing it from a parent's perspective we we see tend to see life where we are in that moment and and in the midst of that we we can enjoy and delight in in what we're seeing but we can also miss that bigger picture um, because as you know, the 4th of July is way more about more things than fireworks and decorating bicycles. We, we know that it's, it's a moment of freedom marked in our history, the freedom that allows us to gather, the freedom uh, that allows us to, to worship uh, freely. Um, and, and instead of how the church gathers in other places across the world, there's freedoms that come into that. And, and even that freedom isn't really the the I don't know, this is like american blasphemy it freedom wasn't the whole point even was it there was a value system there was a there was a, there were rights there were there were all these things that needed freedom in an order to be established in that there's there's so much more to that and then i started thinking about fourth of july in our history and i started thinking about uh, the history of the wars over the earth and i did my best to to look through 
um, as far back as history records uh, would show me at when and how many years was there not a war going on? Let me chew, chew through that a little bit. How many years in the history of, of record was there not a war going on? And like the most uh, conservative that I could probably get is there may be 15% of our history when there wasn't war going on. That would hold true. Some would call it as small as eight uh, or less. Um, I think it's probably zero. We just don't count battles and skirmishes along the way. You know, that we had a quasi-war happen. I'm like, what's a quasi? Let's, I'm not counting that one, right? But, but why so many fights? Why so many battles? Well, someone is fighting for something they believe in. And, and in that reality, we come to this word resolve and this idea that we're going to, someone's going to put to the test their belief system, whether it's, uh, I believe this land should be mine, whether it's, I believe uh, my family is worth fighting for, whatever it is, that resolve is that pushing through that. And, and I've learned something. I tend to learn most about fighting and value and resolve from the inside and not the outside. Have you ever thought about that? Because it's pretty easy to look outwardly and I can tell you a perfect perspective on why you should or shouldn't be fighting the battle you're in. But the battle that I'm in takes a whole lot more dissecting because my battles are complicated and yours are really easy to solve. Amen? Have you ever gotten advice about parenting from someone without children? Like, I knew everything about parenting as a student minister with no kids. Right? It just, it, it's something different when we look in deep. Oswald Chambers said it this way, When God wants to show you what human nature is like apart from him, he has to show it to you in yourself. It, there's only so much we can learn if we don't see ourselves in someone else's shoes. There's only so much we can take away if we're a safe distance out from the battle that we're in. I mean, there's a reason if you have served in the military that, that 4th of July and Memorial Day, they're deeper. There's a deeper understanding in that because you've been in the battle than those of us who are appreciating and, and, uh, and remembering from the outside looking in. It's only when you sit down with a veteran and hear the stories upon stories upon stories that you really start to kind of appreciate because they're bringing you into that battle. So the thing I want you to do today is I want you to open to Acts chapter 16 and I want to take you into an invasion and a battle. And in this battle, there, there's a foreign land that's, that's somewhat um, extreme, somewhat foreign to one of our, our roles, but, but home for others. Uh, the, the place is Cyprus. It's an island right off the shore of, of what we now know as Syria and just south of Turkey. What we would know today, Paul knew, is just south of Galatia in that region. In, in, in the midst of this, we run into 
to Paul and Barnabas, although we'll really talk about Paul. We're going to talk about a guy named Bar-Jesus, and we're going to talk about another person that we only know by title, the proconsul. And in these three people, my request is, as you watch the battle rage, I want you to put yourself in their shoes. I want, I want you not to just view Scripture on the outside looking in like we might some patriotic uh, YouTube video. But instead, I just want you to, to, to be willing to ask the Lord to let you allow the Spirit to open you up, to draw you in. Because you may be one of the three people in this story. You may be at different times in this week all three different people in this story. And God didn't include it just to entertain us with doses of history. And so, so we walk in to Cyprus. How do we get there? Acts chapter 1, or excuse me, 13, verse 1 through 4. Look in your Bible with me. The Bible says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manaean, a, a long friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus, okay? So, so what we know is Barnabas and Cyprus from this snap, uh, Barnabas and, and Paul from this snapshot are sent by a church on God's mission. We call it a missionary trip or their, their missionary journey. And they start with Cyprus. They, now, now, why are they starting with Cyprus? Number one, it was practical, right? It, it was the easiest way to get to kind of a larger land of, again, of what we now know as Turkey, of, but of Galatia, and where we see a lot of Paul and Barnabas' work. But there's a second part to this story. It's Barnabas's home island. It's where he's from. You see, Barnabas being raised on Cyprus would have been a multicultural mix of people. It would have been somewhat like Houston-ish. Egypt had a strong presence there. There was a strong Jewish presence. Um, it was a, a Roman island. It had copper mines galore that made it wealthy and a great destination for all people from all over the Mediterranean and that region to come and to gather. The Bible doesn't tell us if Barnabas came to know Christ while there, but most likely he did not. And so I wondered as I read this, if Barnabas, as he talked to, to Saul, whom from here on out we'll refer to as Paul, said, hey, as we start this journey, I want to take back my home. It has been overrun by evil, by sin. Can we start at my home? The Bible says that regardless of how it happened, that's where they started. So listen to what verse 4 says. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, from there to Cyprus. Verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the Lord in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John assist them. 
and they'd gone through the whole island. Church, what we begin to see is this picture of the gospel spreading. So the first person we meet is Paul. How does Paul find his identity? You see, this is the first thing we have to ask ourselves as we look at our life from the inside out is, who am I identifying myself as? Paul found his identity, we we heard in verse 1 through 4 very clearly, as a missionary set apart by God. See, he claimed for himself a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, who would be obedient to the Lord in any action, wherever and however he was sent. Now, church, if you claim the name Christian, then the title missionary is on your shirt sleeve. It's on your back. Because whether it's away or like Barnabas, it's at home. We, we have professed that what sin has destroyed, what sin made me captive to, Christ set me free of. And so in my life, Lord, I submit and I follow you because you have made me free. Now, I could tell you, I could look across this room and, and don't do this, but if you were to raise your hand, most of us would say, Paul's the guy I identify with with the story. I'm hanging on his coattails the rest of the way. And I want you to, but I don't want you to do so at the detriment or to the detriment of listening to the others because to Paul and Barnabas they're on the mission of God to bring light where darkness dwells that's not how Bar-Jesus saw it look at Bar-Jesus in verse uh, 6 chapter 13 when they had gone through Excuse me, chapter 13, verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, Bar-Jesus, by reputation, we don't know if that's his real name or if that's the title he took on himself. We don't know how it works out. But Bar-Jesus, by going by that title, by going by that name, he was proclaiming his reputation. He was Jewish and a magician who went by the name that means son of salvation. Isn't that interesting? I can imagine Bar-Jesus positioned himself between the Romans and the Jews because uh, practicing magic for for Jews was outlawed. That was not okay. But but Bar-Jesus, somehow in the midst of this, saw where he was in Cyprus, took everything into account, took a little bit of Jewish faith, a little bit of paganism, which made it all paganism, and he proclaimed himself in wisdom and through uh, magic, I'm the son of salvation. See, the reputation that he was working on was one where people would need him where people would be impressed by him, where people would rely on him, and and they could find peace through his direction. And this is his home turf. Paul is invading with a different word. And Bar-Jesus wants you to know, I know where salvation is. Let me show you and demonstrate it. I don't live in this world or this world, and that's why, that's why I know where it lies. And the third person we find in this is the proconsul, verse 7. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. 
a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, let me let you know what, what's funny in this passage. The word proconsul is his title, but it says a man of intelligence. Let me tell you what the word intelligence translated out of the Greek. It just means in practical world words. He's a man who was seeking to put things together. He sought to understand the who, what, when, where's, and why's of life. If you're an engineer, you would have loved a conversation with this guy. He loved knowing why things were the way they were, how things worked out. It probably made him a, a very adequate leader, an adequate overseer. He, in the midst of this, probably delighted in being the guy who could put it all together. So on this trip, we find three people. The missionary, Christian. The man guarding his turf, proclaiming salvation by enlightening the world and the proconsul, a man who just wants to put it together. Why is it important that we start here in Scripture? I, I, I think as we read this story, God never meant for you and I to read it without this inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as we read it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the question is, what reputation are you trying to put forward? If it's one like Paul, then it's one of sold out service to the Lord God and everything else finds itself in, in submission to that. And I would tell us, church, that is the one, the title that we claim, but we have to ask, does my inward motivation and my outward execution of life support that title? If it does not, let's move on to person number two. Is your reputation trying to have it both ways, caught between two worlds, the eternal life-giving one in Christ and the worldly one that will accept and esteem you in the near term? Have you started to find a way, are you looking for a way to soften Jesus, to soften the world, and can't we all just buy the world a Coke and sing in harmony? Or maybe right now you're you're sitting here or you're watching at home maybe you said say quite honestly i just want to put it together I, I just i just want to know what's real and what's true i, I don't know who's right i don't know where it comes from but i want to put it together Aren't you glad we didn't just read this story all the way through? My guess is that if you're not one of those, you're two or three of those right now. So how do we know? What do we do? How do we, how do we know if our reputation is authentic before God and before men? Well, the first thing we do is we look on the inside. So nothing crazy. I'm just going to read the Bible to you, and I want you to see what's on the inside of each of these people. So, so their reputation, is it supported by their motivation? Paul. Bible says in verse 9 of chapter 13, let's just jump into it. Bible says, but Saul, who was also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and looked intently at him. 
What, what scripture says is Paul saying, I am sent by the Lord. And then what Luke writes, not Paul, he's not recording this story. What he's saying is it was evident that Paul was filled with the name that he was sent by. There's consistency. His motivation is not to win a debate. His motivation is not to impress new friends. His motivation is not to gather wealth. His motivation is simply he is filled with the Spirit. And church, we can go in Bible studies and weeks and months and talking about the, the practices of the faith that we're, we're driven to, to build in, in this relationship, to delight in our relationship with God. But in this moment, what Scripture says is, inwardly, what is motivating Paul is the same thing that by reputation he is presenting. I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, Bar-Jesus is presenting Son of Salvation. Let's look what we revealed to him about the inside, verse 10, chapter 13. And he said, Paul says this, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Man, that's not a compliment. Y'all got that? If anyone ever walks up to me and says, Pastor, you son of the devil, I'm like, whoa, that's not a compliment. What's amazing is what Paul is saying on the inside is the opposite of what you're showing on the outside. You're saying, I'm the son of salvation, you false Jewish magician trying to mix it all and make your own thing. But on the inside, you're reflecting who you're truly the son of. You're the son of the devil because you're filled with, your motivation is deceit and villainy. Now, something I've noticed about most villains is what motivates them the most is themselves. Have you ever noticed that? Ends justify the means. Why? Because I've determined that's the case. Their life is more valuable than your wife. Why? Because I've justified it that way. I, I need money and you have more. I'm taking it from you. How's that? Because I said so. If we were to look at most wars that were started in, in history, there's probably threads of villainy that don't stop. And villainy is justifiable deceit because I've determined that's okay. So all of a sudden we start to see something happening is Paul says your motivation is different than the name that you're casting. Church, I don't want you to listen to the drumbeat of the world. When you leave here today, when, when we get off online, you can, you can apply this to the world. I just want it to, to stop right here. If you were to say, this is who I am, this is how I'm known, and then you were to let the Lord look at what's inside of you, would you be justifying the contradictions to him so that he would gloss over and understand those things would, would you be offended that what is motivating you inwardly if it were to come under a microscope might not be accurate or true see because because we know the simplistic world of everybody else as we give out problem-solving solutions. But inwardly, we know how complex we are. 
So it's okay to read Psalm 139 and say, Lord, search me and know, know me. But in reality, God, if you would not do that too much, I don't need a whole lot of it because you know already. I'm doing the best I can. I'm taking it into my hands. I'm trying to live out my faith. I'm working hard, God, to overcome this. Lord, I am putting everything I have into this. Listen, if those words are coming off your lips, a work-based faith is being professed from the inside out. We'd be careful to let the Lord see what's inside of us and does it align with who we are? David prayed, God, if it's not, you get it out because I want alignment with my reputation and my motivation. It's funny. I've determined after working with students for many years, then having, having children myself and now being married through that whole time, we are not as good at lying as we think we are. Amen? Hey, have you ever had a really bad day? No one but me. I know it's the bicycle thing all over again, but follow me. And then someone says, how are you doing? And all of a sudden you put this like, that smile your mom taught you in pictures. I'm doing good, blessed. How are you? Praise God. We're bad at this game. People play along with us because it's, it's socially nice. But guess who's the only one deceived when our motivation, our reputation don't line up? Guess who is the tricked one? Yourself. And so it's not being okay with being broken. That's not, that's not scripture. It's are you okay with the Lord exposing, with the Lord invited into your brokenness so that alignment can happen with the reputation of the name he's given you. The proconsul, I, I was looking at it, and I looked at him in verse 12, said the proconsul believed when he saw. He's just watching. I'm just putting this together. Could you imagine? Paul's come in, Bar Jesus, your trusted Jewish magician, false teacher of the day, is there. And it's like an epic battle. It's like one of those YouTube fail videos you can't get away from. He just saw it. I'm putting it together. I'm going to see what happens here because there are two belief systems at war. And I want to see which one has integrity. How do we know? How, how can we be sure? that we are consistent in alignment with our reputation as a believer or not and our motivation. But Jesus says, from out the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, our actions execute reality. You ever thought about that? Our actions will tell if what, inside, if what is inside matches our reputation or if our inside is different than what we're promoting, that our actions reveal it. And so when we look at that, I want you to first look at Paul's actions in verse uh, 5 and verse 11. If you have a Bible open there with me, is what it says. When they arrived, uh, they proclaimed the word of God. 
Paul says, I am sent by the Spirit. His inside view shows us he is filled with the Holy Spirit. What is his action right off the bat? He is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. His actions are consistent with his inward motivation and it reflects the truth of his reputation. We can go down to verse uh, 11. It says, then, uh, excuse me, and then behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, he says to Bar-Jesus, and you will be blind and unable to, see, unable to see for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon Bar-Jesus and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Not only did he proclaim in obedience full of the Spirit, he displayed the power of the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, now I want, want you to know the difference between Bar-Jesus and, and Paul. Paul's not like, hmm, you know what, I don't like you, I'm making you blind, I'm making you fly, I'm making you healed, you're rich. Glory to God. For $5, send it in, I'll give you that same power on a tape. Play it at home. Paul is not the source of this power, nor is he the decision maker of what to do. Paul is saying, I have been sent by the Holy Spirit. I am being filled by the Holy Spirit. So the power that you are seeing and the gospel that is being proclaimed are in alignment with that. They are of the Holy Spirit, not man-centered causalities. Church, if you and I believe we are following the Holy Spirit and believe that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and yet we are trying to create actions that that glorify God outside of obedience and submission to the one that we're filled with and following, there's not alignment. Are you following that yet? Man, church, Bar-Jesus, the son of salvation, Paul says, man, you are filled with the devil, deceit, and villainy. Let's look at his actions in verse 8, 10, and 11. Verse 8, the Bible says this, but Elimus, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed him and he sought to turn the proconsul away from the faith his actions are i want to pull you away from who you desire to be remember the proconsul wants to be a guy who puts it together and bar jesus wants to be the guy that keeps you from having any data enough data he wants to pull you away from it if i were to look at look at my life today in the world that we're in if you hear an argument coming up and you try to, to shut someone down before they speak a word, the question is why? Are you afraid that your faith is insufficient, your God is insufficient? Mm. Verse 10, the Bible says this, Paul was talking to him and he says, will you not stop making the crooked, making crooked the straight way of the Lord? Not only are you trying to steer people away from God, he says, but the reality is you're not the son of salvation because you're trying to pull people away from God, think. You're, you're, you're trying to, to move them away. You're trying to make complicated what is simple, and the gospel is simple. So you're, you're adding to God's story. That doesn't make it easier. That makes it more difficult. 
So, so you're trying to, to keep him from being influenced by the gospel. Now you're trying to make crooked the straight ways. And finally, we see in verse, um, verse 12, excuse me, in verse 11, we see that in the moment of power testing, he has no ability to resist the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not only the son of, not the son of salvation, he has now become the enemy of the Spirit blind and walking away church this morning you and I live in a world where you might be tempted to to listen to the smooth saying arguments around you because people are proclaiming who they are and in the world of tweets and social media and news snippets in, in the, the world of conversation, casual conversation even, what we find is people just want us to look at it the outside, to take people at face value, and that would include you. I'm not sure that any war was ever started where the person in charge didn't think that their intentions were right I mean, I'm sure there's some out there there's a little bit of crazy in all of us so but self-deception proved them that their intention was worth death, loss destruction so, so let me ask you in the war that you're waging right now what's What's the name on the back of your shirt telling the world who you are? Is it Christ follower? Saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. If so, look at your heart. Is there freedom? Is it growing? Look inside. Are you, are you filled with the Spirit running hard after Him? Look at the outside. Even in rough situations, are you clinging in obedience? If that's where you are, keep running the good race. But if that is not where you are, don't deceive yourself and see your eyes opened on the wrong day in history. Maybe the back of your shirt says Bar Jesus, son or daughter of salvation. It's very similar to child of the king, but not quite. And maybe your life has been filled with a, a, a large, hefty serving of Jesus and a large, hefty serving of wanting to be right with this world, loved by this world, have a happy existence by those who are not of Christ and you might have never thought before right now that you could be right there but look inside are you deceiving yourself consoling yourself do you find that your words make Jesus hard and the power of the spirit lacking in your life if so 
here's a beautiful moment. I would encourage you to take one step into the shoes of, of the proconsul. The Lord has brought you here today so that he could put some things together in your life. It's not because you're intelligent, praise God, he used unextraordinary men and women, but because he loves you. And as you take in Paul and Bar-Jesus in the whole scene, will you allow the Lord to put it together so that you might believe that the Holy Spirit is offering you what you cannot manufacture? Life, hope, power, safety, security in his shadow. I wrote to my family this week, I'm reading a song where it says, teach me your way, O God. It talks about the qualities of God. And, and I scribbled to them, I wonder if we've missed the point. When David says, teach me your way, O God, I wonder if he means, teach me where you're going. Not, Lord, I want to be all these things. I just want to live in the shadow of forgiveness and faithfulness. I want to live in the shadow of grace and kindness and power. Putting it together is not figuring it out. Putting it together is recognizing that Jesus Christ is offering you what you cannot have on your own. So whose shoes do you stand in in this holiday? Father God, we love you so much. Lord, I, I want missionary. I want it on my t-shirt, my socks, tattooed on my arm, wherever you want to put it, God. For I've been saved by a grace that I could not earn. Bought with a price that I could not pay. And welcomed through a door that I could not open. Father God, in this room, Lord, I pray that that word would be an affirmation to your people. Lord, if there are those in this room, though, who've looked on her sleeve and said, Lord, it looks a whole lot more like son of salvation than child of the king, looks a lot more like, like daughter of the saved instead of saved by grace. Lord Jesus, would you let them know? Would you let them see? Would you let your spirit reveal to them the difference between their inward motivation and their reputation? Would you make obvious their actions, even right now, only what your spirit can do? Lord, you can make the, the dark ways light, the, the crooked ways straight, God, what the enemy means to do. You can undo without breaking a sweat. So Father, in this moment, would you make that obvious? And instead of condemnation, Lord, because you are giving us breath, if your spirit brings that to revelation, Lord, would you allow them to step away from those shoes? And would you put it together for them so they might believe and have life and know power and grace? In Jesus' name.